Hi, and welcome to Inglewood Presbyterian Church in Kirkland, Washington. We are a church for the neighborhood, whether you're a local neighbor or from far away, all are welcome here. We are pleased to present to you our weekly Sunday sermons. Our head pastor is James Cuman, and you can find more information about us on our website at inglewoodpc.org. Well, hello, Inglewood Presbyterian Church. Uh, it's great to see you again, uh, thanks to technology. I'm here uh, preaching on Ruth chapter two for you today, and it is a great honor for me to be with you. Uh, thank you, James, for inviting me to come in. And so my goal is through technology to bring us together into God's word and to see what God has to say to us. So we're gonna be in Ruth chapter two, but let me first start by praying. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the good news of Jesus. Thank you that we get to gather together virtually like this. And Father, we pray that you would meet us here. We pray you would speak to us in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, if you want to turn with me to Ruth chapter 2, uh, we're going to be learning a few things today. Uh, number one, we're going to learn that God actually allows tragedy in our lives. If you were with us last week, you would have seen that Ruth chapter 1 filled with tragedy. Uh, secondly, we're going to see that God actually uses tragedy to bring us to himself, uh, to get us out of our bubble, out of our comfort zone, and to, to open us up to him and to each other. And so we're going to see how God allows tragedy. We're going to see how God uses tragedy um, to bring us to each other, to bring us to himself. We're also going to see how God uses tragedy to reveal his gracious and generous character. It's in tragedy, it's in hard times, that God opens our eyes to see how generous and gracious he really is. And then lastly, we're going to see how God uses the blessings that we receive during tragedy to be a blessing to others. And so that's what we're going to be looking at today. I, I understand you're watching this the first Sunday after the election. And so it's possible I, I'm, I'm recording this before the election, so I don't know what the results are yet. But it's very possible that you come this Sunday morning with a heavy burden on your heart, feeling like our country is in a tragic state. And um, so I think Ruth has something good to say to us in our sadness and in our disappointment. And so uh, let's look at Ruth chapter 2. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? 
And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Now, maybe you're sitting there saying, Look, I, I have troubles in my life. I have sorrow. I have pain. Why are you reading to me from this ancient book about these places and people I've never seen, never heard of, never been to? Where is Moab? Who is Elimelech? Why does this matter? Well, I just want to say to you that God's word is such good news for us. And no matter what you're going through, you can always go back to God's word. You can always open God's word and, and discover God. That's really what all of us need right now is to draw near to him, to feel his presence, to hear his word. And, and thankfully, he's given it to us in this. And so even though the words might be strange to us, there's something good here for us. So even if you're new to the Bible, uh, stick with us. Don't give up on this. There's something beautiful in this chapter. Well, first of all, we, find, we pick up the story here in chapter 2, and we find that God allows tragedy. God has already brought or allowed tragedy to come into these people's lives. In chapter 1, we learned that Naomi had a husband and that they were living in the land of Israel, and that there was a famine. And so there was a shortage of food, and they had to leave. And so they uprooted themselves from their family, and they went to a foreign land. They went to the land of Moab. And while they were there, they had two sons, and their sons got married to, to women from that country. Well, guess what? Her husband died, and then her two sons died. And so here's Naomi in a foreign land where she doesn't speak the language, and all she's left with are her two Moabite daughter-in-laws. And so it's a very tragic story. It's a very brutal story that she's feeling so destitute and desperate. Think about this. She's, she's lost her loved ones. Her, she's had to bury her husband. She's had to bury her sons. And she's just so destitute. She doesn't know what to do. So she decides, I will go back to the land of Israel. And, uh, and it's in this process of going back that we learn that Ruth is unwilling to leave Naomi alone. Naomi is insisting, Ruth, go back to your home. I can't provide for you anymore. I don't have another son for you to marry. I'm sorry. It's very bitter for me. It's bitter for you, but please just go. And Ruth refuses. Ruth says, I am going to stay here. Uh, at the beginning of the book of Ruth, it actually tells us the time period that this was happening in. It was happening in the time of the judges. And the time of the judges was a time of moral and political chaos within the people of Israel. Does that sound familiar? A time of moral and political chaos. At the end of Judges, it says, In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Which means that you had people who had no concept of right or wrong making big decisions that affected the entire community. Everybody said, well, I'm going to do what's right for me. And it led to utter chaos and destruction. And it and part of that destruction or that chaos was the famine, the economic devastation that comes from a famine. They're also facing physical loss and as well as relational loss. So God is allowing this tragedy. And I think it, it just brings us back to 2020. 2020 has been a year of loss. It's been a year of tragedy. It's been a year of pain. I don't know if you've lost anyone, but I've, I've lost two people that were very dear to me passed away in the last four months. And uh, one of them, I was there with her when she passed away. And it's just been a year of tremendous loss. 
And so when we look at chapter one, we see Naomi weeping. We see Ruth weeping. And we see that God has, for some reason, he has allowed this tragedy. And I think this is the first thing that the Bible wants to teach us is that God actually does allow pain. God does allow disappointment. And we're kind of sitting here going, but why? You know, I thought God was supposed to make my life better. I thought knowing God was supposed to bring me joy and happiness. Uh, and so why then would he allow suffering? Why would he allow tragedy? Well, there's two reasons that I want to highlight today as we think about why God allows tragedy. Uh, the first reason that scripture tells us why God allows tragedy is that it purifies the way we relate to God. It purifies that. And the, the imagery that's given to us is in the book of First Peter. And he talks about how your faith is like gold and that the suffering you're going through is like a furnace. And so the furnace heats up the gold, and as it heats up the gold, the impurities rise to the surface. And the goldsmith, he's able then to scrape off that, they call it the dross. They, they scrape off the dross so that the gold can become more and more pure. And Peter compares this to uh, suffering. He says that when we suffer, that our relationship with God, all of the impurities in our relationship with God, they come to the surface. And you find out, am I worshiping God because he's worthy? Am I worshiping God because I truly love him? Or am I worshiping God for him to give me something, to make my life good, to give me health, to give me prosperity? And we don't want to have a relationship with God that is transactional. We don't want to serve God for ourselves. We want to serve God for himself. I don't know if you've ever had a friend or a coworker who, who you thought really loved you, who, who they were really pro you, but then it turned out they just wanted what you could give them. They just wanted the doors that you could open for them. And you know how painful that can be. And, and yet we do that to God, don't we? we? We love God because he gives us a good paycheck or because he gives us friends to hang out with. But that's really not why we should love God, is it? We should love God because he's worthy, because he's, he's our creator, he's our redeemer. And so when we go through tragedy, it purifies our relationship with God. It purifies our trust in God. And it, it cleanses our hearts and it gives us an opportunity to love God for who he really is. Uh, the second reason I think why God allows tragedy is that it produces something. So it purifies our the way we relate to God, but it also produces something. Uh, this is uh, the book of James, chapter 1, verse 24. It says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you, and I would say, and sisters, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. Now, the Greek word for steadfast is hupomone. It means to be able to bear up underneath. And so when we go through tragedy, when God allows tragedy in our life, this is one of the reasons why. It's because he wants to build us into people who can bear up under hard times, under difficulty. So this is why 1 Peter 4 would tell us, he says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice. See, Peter knows what it's like to go through hard times. He watched Jesus on the cross. He, he, he watched him be crucified and he, he himself betrayed Jesus. And so Peter knows about tragedy. He knows about disappointment. He knows about hard times. And he's saying, beloved, don't be surprised when the broken world comes upon you, when your own brokenness comes upon you, and when you suffer, he's saying instead we should rejoice. Now, why would Peter say that? I think Peter would say that because he saw the resurrection. 
he saw how God uses tragedy for his own purpose. And I think Peter understood what it was like to have his relationship with God purified by his own difficulty, by his own pain. And I think Peter knows what it's like to have suffering and tragedy create hupomone, to create steadfastness. If you remember, they brought uh, Peter and John before the, the Supreme Court of the Jewish people, the Sanhedrin in chap Acts chapter 4, and they tell him, stop talking about Jesus. And even in the face of all of that pressure, political, religious pressure from people in the highest positions of power, Peter was steadfast uh, because he had been through tragedy. So God allows tragedy, but God doesn't just allow tragedy. God also uses tragedy. And that's the second point we want to see today is that God uses tragedy to get us out of our comfort zones and to into each other's arms and into God's arms. Did you see that? Where uh, Naomi and Ruth were there and they were despondent and they were hungry and they were poor. And Ruth said, let me go out and glean. Let me go out and beg. Let me go out and find some food for us. And so she ends up, by God's providence, she ends up on the field where Boaz rules the day. And here she is working in Boaz's field without even knowing Boaz yet. And we see that if she had not suffered, if she had not gone through the, uh, the loss of her husband, if she had not had to move back and become a foreigner with her mother-in-law, Naomi, Ruth would have never met Boaz. And she would have never uh, been drawn to Naomi either. I think if she had had a, a happy marriage with a, a husband who never passed away, who knows what would have happened to Ruth? But when she lost her husband and she was faced with this difficulty, it drove her into Naomi's arms and eventually into Boaz's field. And so I don't know what tragedy you've been through this year, but I need to remind you and encourage you, God is not going to waste it. God is going to bring you into his arms and into the arms of other people if we will let him. And so I want to ask you, whose arms is God trying to bring you into? Who is he trying to build a, a bridge between you and them? I know that for us in our family, as we've watched the racial divide in our country just become more and more evident, it has pushed us closer to our friends who have suffered racial discrimination, who have suffered racism. And it has drawn us into fellowship with each other, with people that we normally maybe would, we're not that close with. And so I don't know who is going through your life, who God has brought in, but God wants to use this tragedy of 2020 to bring you into other people's arms. Number three, we're gonna see that God uses tragedy to reveal his generous and his gracious character. Let's pick up the story, verse eight. Then Boaz said to Ruth, now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell to her face, bowing to the ground, and she said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. 
So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied. And she had some left over. And when she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some of the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. Isn't this a beautiful story, a beautiful picture of how God uses tragedy to reveal his generousness, his graciousness to us? You know, God had already told his people, Israel, what kind of people they were supposed to be. In Leviticus 23 and Leviticus 19, God says this, When you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edges, nor shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. You see, in his law, God had told the people of Israel, this is how you're supposed to do your harvesting. You're not supposed to harvest every single speck. You're supposed to leave the edges open. You're supposed to let the poor and you're supposed to let the immigrant and the, the people who don't have a permanent place to live. You're supposed to let them come and get the leftovers. And so God's character is revealed in his word. But then here is Boaz, a man of God's word. And he is three things. Number one, he is aware. He's aware of this destitute widow, this immigrant woman. He's aware of her. He has empathy for her. He has compassion for her, and he takes action. First of all, he takes action. He talks to her directly, and he puts her at ease. He lets her know, look, you're welcome here. I'm glad that you're here. Stay. You can have all that you need to eat, all that you need to drink. Don't leave. I want you here. And then secondly, he takes corporate action. He tells his workers, hey, she's, she's protected. She's under my protection. Uh, Alistair Begg says this about Boaz. He says, the girl Ruth discovers the heart of God in the hands of Boaz. Isn't that so good? The God brings us into proximity with people who are struggling and destitute and possibly poor or homeless or people who don't speak our language or people who are not from this land. He brings us into proximity to them so that we can be God's hands and God's feet. We can show God's generosity. We can show God's graciousness. He, Beg, Alistair Begg also says this. He says, the invisible God becomes visible in the care of his people. When you and I care for others, when we care for the marginalized, when we care for the poor, the widows, for the people who are relying on handouts, when we show them care, the invisible God is becoming visible through you and through us. Isn't that a great gift? But I, I'm curious, you know, how did Boaz do this? You know, there was just a famine before this. Wouldn't Boaz have been scared? Wouldn't he have been tempted to say, get away from here, this is my hard work this is my labor. This is my profit. This is mine. But Boaz doesn't do that, does he? No, Boaz is willing to not put his eyes on his goods, but to put his eye on God. And by putting his eyes on God and remembering who God is and what God has done for him, Boaz becomes a man who's able to be generous, a man who's able to be gracious. Um, put your eyes on Christ, not on your circumstances. You know, as we face 2020 it's so easy isn't it to be afraid to want to protect what's ours to um to be stingy to be miserly and yet when we look at jesus what do we see we see this bounteous grace not holding back being generous and and we see that in boaz he's such a picture of jesus isn't he that he doesn't push us away but he, he welcomes us in 
this is the the gospel friends is that you and i didn't didn't qualify for god's goodness and yet he gave it to us out of love he was generous with us he was gracious with us you know in boaz we see a picture of power without pride we see a picture of abundance without aloofness we see a picture of having money without being miserly you know and this is such a picture of jesus isn't it he's so abundant he's so he's the king of kings he's the lord of lords he rules heaven and earth and yet he's not arrogant he doesn't remain aloof he comes down and he he lays his life down for us and he and he speaks tenderly to us and he says i want you here just like boaz speaks to ruth i want you here and so can you see how god in tragedy how he reveals his character of generosity and grace to us he does it here for ruth but also in the tragedy of the cross he reveals his grace he reveals his generosity to us in that horrible tragedy with jesus being nailed to the the wooden beams and the crown of thorns being shoved into his skull you have such tragedy and yet you have this revelation of god's grace and god's generosity and so this is an invitation for us, isn't it? It's, it's an invitation to be like Ruth and to receive the grace, but it's also an invitation to be like Boaz and to become aware of those around us who need that grace, to be like Boaz and to be empathetic to the people who, who feel very scared right now, the people who feel very marginalized and very powerless. It's an invitation, isn't it, for us to be like Boaz by the power of the Holy Spirit because Jesus has transformed us, because Jesus has sent us, that we get to, to hold our hands out in generosity and say, I want you here. I don't want you to leave. And lastly, we see that God uses the blessings that we receive in tragedy as a way to bless others. Just a, a great story in a sermon here from Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. This is his book, and uh, it's got a compilation of his sermons. He talks about how one night he was uh, empty and tired it says i seen that all my fears had come down on me at once i could not sleep and i had reached the saturation point in fact he admits that i was about to uh to give up he had received some threatening phone calls and he didn't know what to do next he was just at the end of his rope and so he says i determined to take my problem to god i determined to take my problem to god and he does that he prays to the lord and it says right here, it says, At that moment I experienced the presence of the divine as I had never before experienced him. It seemed as though I could hear the quiet assurance of an inner voice saying, Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for truth. God will be at your side forever. Almost at once my fears began to pass from me. My uncertainty disappeared. I was ready to face anything. The outer situation remained the same, but God had given me inner calm. And I think this is a beautiful picture for us as we face tragedy in 2020. Whatever tragedy you've been going through, whether it's uh, the sickness from the pandemic or losing a loved one, or maybe it's unemployment, or maybe there's, there's strife in your home. Uh, I don't know, maybe it's the racial division in our country. Maybe it's the election. But whatever tragedy you've been going through, determine, like Dr. King, to take your problem to God. And I believe that he will meet us. And in fact, in Jesus Christ, he already has met us. In Jesus Christ on the cross, we see God intervening, don't we? We see God coming into tragedy, taking our sadness, taking our pain, our disappointments, suffering tragedy, so that we could experience the light of God's grace, the beauty of the gospel. 
that we can be forgiven, we can be reconciled to God, and that no matter what is going on in our outer circumstances, we can have inner calm because Jesus has gone before us and he has taken away our guilt, he's taken away our shame so that we can now come before God as adopted sons and daughters, forgiven, not because of our works, but because of Jesus's finished work on the cross. Do you remember what he said on the cross? He said, it is finished. My dear friends, God takes tragedy and he uses it to reveal his gracious and generous character. But he also, he, he wants to bless us in the middle of the tragedy so that we could be a blessing to others. And that was what happened to Ruth. She was blessed and she was able to turn around and she turned right around and gave it to Naomi. God blessed Dr. King in his tragedy with that inner calm. And then he was able to turn around and use that gift as a blessing to all the other people in the Montgomery bus boycott and all the other people in the civil rights movement. And truly our whole country was blessed because he received that blessing in his own tragedy, in his own sadness and despondency. He received something from the Lord and that that is something that Jesus wants to offer for you today. He wants to bless you today, even though your circumstances might not change. He wants to give you a sense of his presence. He wants to give you inner calm. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we ask right now that you would, Lord, open our eyes to see your goodness to us. Open our eyes to see how you have suffered tragically so that we could have new life, so that we could have courage and confidence that you are right here with us, Lord, that we are not alone. God, thank you for this picture of, of yourself, Lord, in both Ruth and Boaz. Lord, thank you for that beautiful reminder that you are a God of generosity, a God of grace. And God, we pray you do that in us. Make us a people of generosity and grace. We pray this in your name, Jesus. And everybody agreed and said, amen. Amen. It's such an honor to be with you. God bless you. Take care.